Hey fellow tennis nerds, in this episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast, I talk to Brett Bothwell, the founder and inventor of Bolt Rackets. Bolt Rackets are tennis rackets with suspension technology, meaning a spring-like system inside a chamber in the grommets. This might sound strange or gimmicky to you, but these rackets actually play nicely. Check out my review on TennisNerd.net and YouTube for more information. Brett had some interesting thoughts about the growth of pickleball and what tennis needs to do to stay on top of the game. So that's where we start. We get into lots of different topics later on in the podcast. You can check out his blog in the description for more content and more stuff from Brett. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on your podcast platform and share it with your friends. For anything else tennis nerdy, check out our patreon.com slash tennis nerd or tennisnerd.net. That's all. I hope you enjoy the podcast and don't forget to play some tennis. You know, there's some indication from uh, how we see uh, pickleball kind of encroaching on tennis that, that, you know, I think we've gone to sleep to some degree in, in our understanding that tennis needs to innovate, needs, needs to always be looking forward and making sure that we're doing the best thing we can for tennis and for players, tennis players. and whether they're pros or rec players, but um, we can't go to sleep at the wheel. And, and I think that, you know, this sort of encroachment of pickleball into tennis, I, I don't think it's really an accident. Um, I think if we do, you know, uh, drop our guard and, and don't stay alert and on our toes and continue to make great things, the best things we can for tennis, I think that, you know, we can be vulnerable and, um, unfortunately, uh, I think pickleball has sort of slipped into some of that vulnerability and, um, exposed that anyway. And, um, and I think we tennis players have to dig in and hopefully in the United States, we hope that our leaders will rally, uh, and do that and take it seriously and make sure that tennis does make its way into the ma mainstream conversation as often as possible. And, um, uh, you know, our leaders need to be sure that they're doing that. Yeah, I think uh, that the issue is sometimes with these things, because, I mean, we have the same trend in, in Europe uh, with paddle instead of pickleball. I mean, there's some pickleball as well, but it's not at all that the same kind of rate of growth as it is in the States. But the problem mm -hmm. is that since there's money to be made in paddle pickleball, which you can lump into one category here, it's kind of the new challenger to to tennis, I would say. And the, yep. the celebrities, the leaders, the, even the ex-athletes, the unsuccessful tennis pros, they all go to this sport because there's money to be made. So you have sponsors, right. you have lots of courts. It feels like, like they're letting you down a bit in a way because they're just flocking towards where the attention is made. But that's just right. how, it, how it works, I guess. And, it's, right. and it can feel a bit strange having played tennis, worked with tennis or, or been in the tennis industry. Um, as or just been a fan for a long time, I think for people to see, like when you have, um, you know, ex tennis pros or tennis, like celebrities or or influencers profiles that they are now suddenly like marketing pickleball. Right, right, yeah, it's a it's a problem when you hear, uh, you know, Kim Kleisters investing in a pickleball franchise here in the states, and you know we have some of the big football players who've done the same thing. And and we recently had John Isner even playing in a pickleball tournament here on Tennis Channel, which I found really alarming. Um, 
You know, I've, I've, to me, that's where the ATP tour needs to get in there and say, hey, uh, you can't do that until you retire. Um, you know, I think that's just maybe kind of gotten out uh, ahead of the conversation. So they're not maybe ready for that. But, um, you know, the big problem in the United States, Jonas, is, is that the USTA actually devised a plan to you know, have pickleball lines drawn on tennis courts all across the country. And um, pickleball in itself isn't so bad. And you probably read me say this so much. It's, it's the encroachment part. It's the, we have tennis, we have pickleball courts actually replacing tennis courts. You know, that is a, something we can't tolerate, you know, fine, build pickleball courts wherever you want, but when you start to remove the tennis courts, that's a problem. And we almost, the USTA in some ways, almost invited that scenario. And um, I understand to some degree, you're right, right? The money talks. Um, I think they were thinking more income for their coaches, more income for the associations. Um, but um but to some degree, it backfired, at least here in the United States. And, um, and now it's a tricky spot. And, and hopefully we, we, um, we can rally around. I, I still think um, I happen to have a, the concept of green dot balls, you know, is the sort of, to me, would be the tennis answer to pickleball. And, you know, where you can gather, you know, the green ball and you can put two fives and three O's out on the court with a green ball and they will have a fantastic time. And people don't have to be great at hitting a tennis ball with a green dot. And um, I thought we should have rallied people, tennis players around green dot ball parties, right? That's one of the nice things about pickleball. It can be social. You don't have to be great. Yeah. Uh, da, da, da. We have that in tennis. We do. We have the green ball and the green dot ball. And that to me is the solution that uh, we should be out front and center offering and saying, at least, you know, this is one social alternative. Uh, we've been discussing that actually at my club recently and talking about having a couple of green dot ball parties to see if we couldn't lasso some, some um, more beginner players to come and join the others. So yeah, that's See a pretty good that. idea, actually. It sounds like. I mean, I, I think the the problem for for tennis or the problem with tennis leadership in in not only in the U.S. but it, I think, it worldwide in some cases that it became too exclusive of a sport, and, and it's almost like they wanted to stay in that exclusivity and maybe instead right. of becoming more inviting and saying, "Hey, you know, this for everyone." Like these are steps you can get from a beginner into a club or into a social circle where you play. And it became right. this this just like elitist uh, activity, which is never good. Like you can never have that. Uh, even golf is, right. is going towards like grow the game and trying right. to make this sport more inclusive. So I, I think that's a little bit of a missed opportunity that could have been done like 10, 15 years ago. Yep. I think you're right, Jonas. I think you're right about that. And in fact, to me, it's reflective of the culture, right? So that when the culture, you have a culture that's, sort of leaning toward the sort of elite side of the crowd. Um, you know, there's a certain closed mindedness that goes with that. 
And I think when you come to, as a, as a good example, I think, uh, the bolt racket, um, you know, this is something I showed the Wilson people 30 years ago. I mean, it's been that long and I got a problem with that. The, the zip strip is so simple. I mean, it is so simple. It's a little carbon fiber tube, like a grommet. I mean, there's nothing to it. And yet it takes us 30 years to get something like that into the market. And, and in fact, I had to do it myself through you know, by hook or crook <laughs> to get it out here. You can imagine the challenges I faced. Yeah, I can imagine. We just can't have that in tennis. And that to me does reflect this kind of closed culture. And we don't grow like that. At least we don't grow properly. And, um, you know, I think, um, again, I think the zip strip is such a perfect example because in the end, it's such a simple concept. I mean, Wilson could have done these rackets in three, four weeks, you know? Um, mm. It didn't have to take me 20 years to do it. Um, so that's a problem. How, how did the idea come about? Like, I mean, you came up with this quite a long time ago then, I understand. Yeah, yeah, early 90s when the first hollow tube carbon fiber rackets came out, you know, the profile came out and, um, I was just, I was a hitter at a club in New York, but, you know, of course the people in New York had these new rackets right away. And I've tried one immediately. The first ball, I went, whoa, 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 this is so stiff. I mean, it, they were brittle, you know, they were mm. almost pure carbon fiber back then. So, uh, and I immediately said, wow, wow, you're going to have to solve that problem at some point. And so I actually, I went to work actually, I'm by nature, my background, you know, I'm an architect. And um, so I just kind of, it's my nature to solve problems. And I just started chopping up brackets right away and, and uh, trying to decipher ways to, to soften it up. Aside from the handle, you know, people came out with vibration absorbing mechanisms for the handles right away. Um, but I had a sense that there was something else that you could do on the string bed. So I did, I fiddled with it for about a year and a half and went and filed for a patent. And then I went straight to Wilson in Chicago and met with them. Actually it was fascinating. They looked at me. I, you know, I really at the time didn't know much of what I was doing, but I had the concept and I knew it was, I knew it was a good one. And they they could they could see I had something so they said hey can you put that in one of our rackets <laughs> I said of course sure I can and so they sent me a box and I did it actually and I took them back to Wilson and I showed them and I think they were shocked that I pulled it off <laughs> and they did at the time they made an offer they wanted it for it wasn't really an offer but um, I think they had triad in the in the in development at the time. So they probably didn't want, want what I had going to get too far uh, because in a way the zip strip kind of supersedes, you know, something like a triad or even a, something that's in the handle, All right? We're getting at shock and vibration before it actually gets into the racket. And, and I think that, um, so they asked for two years, they, they wouldn't give me anything, <laughs> no advance on future royalties, nothing. And, but they said I couldn't talk to anyone about it. And I, that didn't seem right. And 
in the meantime, I had worked my way into, uh, I got to know John McEnroe's father uh, through a crazy thing. I knew a friend of his had a tennis club. He introduced me. And so by a, the time Wilson was talking to me about having it for a couple of years to fool around with, um, uh, Mr. McEnroe, I went to see him and showed him one of these prototypes that I had made out of a box of Wilson rackets. And he thought it was pretty interesting. And I actually had gotten it to, it was a playing racket. So he called and said, meet John at the tennis court. He wants to try the racket. So that's how I kind of made the next step from talking to Wilson. I got on a tennis court with John McEnroe. I didn't actually get to hit with him. He had his hitting partner, but he hit with it. And right away, he looked at me like, what'd you do to this thing? Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, that was cool. He's, it was cool. It was a great experience. And he came off the court and, and uh, you know, he was looking at the racket. He could tell it was a Wilson. I had painted them silver, but you could still kind of tell it. You know, he said, oh, normally I hate Wilsons, but this one feels really good. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> anyway. So he came off the court. He said, I really like this. What do you want me to do for you? And that's kind of, that's when he introduced me to vocal. Vocal then did the catapult, which is kind of, they butchered the design. You know, they just kind of copped it a little bit. And and I don't know if you're familiar with the catapult. I'm sure yeah. you are. But, you know, it's one flimsy piece of carbon fiber they did. And my whole concept was about the chamber. You know, once you get a chamber, like the zip strip, it's a tube. Once you get the tube, I mean, I'm an architect, right? So you don't support a floor with a piece of plywood, but you can certainly build a box beam out of out of plywood and support something. You know, so it's the same concept with the, with the zip strip. Um, and so you, you we we just made a tube, and suddenly we have a structural member out there that we can start to control the response of the string bed. I mean, it's just crazy what we can start to get into. I'm telling you, when we get into silicones and foams and starting to change the layup, we add some fiberglass to make it a little softer, a little stiffer. I mean, we're into, we can control dwell time, control the sweet spot, all of it. We can have like control over it. I mean, it's craziness, and uh, that's that's why I'm still here because it's it's I know it's a new frontier. I mean, I'm fully convinced that you know we've had suspensions on cars for a hundred years, and we're we're ready to have suspensions on rackets too. I mean, it's it's that simple. Uh, yeah, it does make sense from a technological standpoint. I mean, looking at it from just the pure basics of why is there nothing more to be done in the head of the racket? I mean, there's not been like a whole lot of innovation. I mean, you mentioned the catapult. There's obviously uh, some, somewhat similar in, in thinking, uh, not to quite right. an execution, as you say. Most of the dampening, and like I test everything that's out on the market pretty much and have done for a while, but it, it's always the the handle dampening that is the main dampening spot. That That's where you want to yep. uh, make sure you, you limit vibrations or there's foam inside the frame which which is tough to quality control because then you if you have too much foam the swing weight goes off and it, it's a, it's it's a, also a tricky one and it also mutes the the sensation when, when playing right yeah one one question i i had was like when you started like thinking 
when you started seeing these uh, Wilson profile rackets and these massive, I mean, they had extremely thick beams, those frames. Yeah. <laughs> was was there already like a concern back then about like stiffness leading to some kind of, of pain, like wrist pain, tennis elbow or oh, other yeah. things? Or sure, right did away. Did that come like with right the polyesters away. when they were started beaming? No, uh-uh. no, no, no. The polyesters have only made it worse. I mean, no, it was right away. Right away, you could tell people were were getting more sore faster. Um, it was it was clearly an issue. That's why, again, back to now, how can we, you know, how can we not truly, you know, take that on as a central issue of racket design? Um, and if there's a way to, I mean, nearly get rid of the impact problem then why wouldn't we, if it's a central issue that we've had for decades, two, three decades? Um, yeah, and I see the bigger problem here, which I've been thinking about a lot, because, I mean, if we look at and what we talked about it was with the pickleball is that, you know, you, you get a pickleball racket, it's a plastic ball, the sound is horrible, like it's sensation is not nice. That That's my opinion. I, I still find it to be a fun right. activity, like I played it and it, it's, not, it's not bad at all. I understand people like yep. it, although I'm a tennis yep. player. Yep. But it's not competing, you know, with playing tennis. And the, in my right. opinion, and the nope. string on the on the ball is is uh, can be a very nice sensation in, with the right type of technology, the right type of string, and so tension and so on. Uh, but right. when you have players getting these kind of permanent injuries or, or pretty bad injuries, I mean, some people have really chronic tennis elbow develop long, you know, that they have to stay away from the sport for for months or even like a year or whatever. Right, and and that's just killing the growth of the sport or the enjoyment you can spread with the sport. So I think the whole elbow thing becomes a problem for the game, you know, because people don't know yep. like they string the rackets with the Rafa tension, and they buy the Rafa racket or other brands rackets that are similar, because that's what they're recommended by the club pro or the, you know, uh, someone that they know and and who maybe has an interest in selling more of these rackets or just carry one brand or so. And then, right. then the player gets tennis right. elbow and we lose a tennis player. Right, right. Yeah, and Jonas, in fact, shoot, some of those demos come into the club with polyester in them. You know, I mean, so the person beginner, you know, said the coach said to use a ball machine. I'm here. Can I use a demo? Someone at the desk gives them a demo. It has polyester in it. They go out and hit a thousand balls in 30 minutes and, right, they're sore. and. And just like you just said, you know, that's a person we can lose pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, if someone's not paying attention and says, oh, geez, the demos have poly. Well, maybe that's not good for our beginners. Uh, and we'd like to think that there's uh, some more thinking on the front end going on. Uh, but I'm not sure that's always the case. And, um, yeah, that, that, that really can present a problem. Yeah, and I think like I mean, one of the things that I recommend to players straight away, if they have sensitive arms or they're starting to feel something, is generally like just start by switching the string, which is the cheapest. I mean, instead of changing a racket, you can actually at least get a multifilament or a synthetic gut or even a natural gut if you want that, and and right. you will get less vibration at least. That will I will remove some of the problem. Then you have that other issue is that the the strings move 
quite quickly and they will obviously break. So it would be a bit more costly, likely, right. uh, depending on how you hit the ball. But but that's the problem with multifilaments. And then now, I mean, obviously they're trying to find like a middle ground of a soft polyester and a firm multifilament. Uh, right. But it's always going right. to be some kind of compromise. And uh, There's going to be a trade-off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your idea with the bolt rackets is that you can actually string it with a polyester and the impact is still dealt with the zip strips, right? Yep, that's exactly right. And then, in fact, you know, once we sort of make that jump, you know, I mean, we can actually come back and make the zip strips firmer. So, if, you know, someone, you know, we've had a few people that, you know, they like the pop that they feel on the conventional racket. And I understand that. And there's a certain sound that it can make when it pops off of a conventional racket. We can actually take the zip strips kind of back closer to that if we want to. You know, the idea is that we get in there and have control of it completely. And we can make it kind of, as we evolve the strip, you know, we can make it feel however we want it to. You know, firm, soft, quick, slow. Um, so you could change you know, the racket's um, playability and feel just by buying a new different strip. That could be possible, you right. mean. That's exactly right. Right. There's also, yeah, that's that's, you that's know, a cool idea, actually. That, that's, uh, that becomes like an extra thing you can customize then. Absolutely. In fact, I'm here now. I've, I've been fiddling around with different kinds of silicone in the strips. And, um, you know, it does becomes a fascinating... Um, uh, thing to develop a recipe for the flex and then we can make the frame you know we can add a little a, a little bit of flex to the frames of course if we want to but you know this beautiful combination that we're getting of a nice stable stiff precise accurate frame coupled with a you know beautiful dwell time and softness on the string bed um you know it's that's definitely i think it's getting us into new territory i even i have a a uh, blog post. I don't know if you saw this. I did a video where I put steel cable in one of the bolts and took that out to hit with it. Actually, I strung it up. I pulled it full tension to 55 pounds and took it out on the court. And I tell you what, it was beautiful. I mean, it was, it felt great. Not at all harsh. Uh, one of the coaches at the club I play at said it was the most accurate uh, playing racket he'd ever had in his hands he just felt like the ball was just right on line that was with steel cable all steel cable um yeah i saw so, that I, I was actually pretty cool I, I and i also i mean having been in this sphere, sphere for a while and talking to people in it it's nice to see something that's more than just moving around the same technologies or trying the same materials like it's it's that's generally the feeling i have with these types of experiments because um it's it's otherwise you see a lot of the same just being changed you know you change the name and the branding of the technology and then it's it's moved around so there's generally quite small incremental improvements or, or updates or changes uh, to most right. rackets right right yeah uh this is you know i don't know if you're familiar there's another article in my blog i'll, I'll be sure to get it in front of you i know you'd be interested i talk about the history of suspension and I, you know, um, people often don't realize that suspension was pursued since the turn of the last century. <laughs> I mean, the idea of 
putting a suspension on the string bed is a hundred year old concept. And the only reason why it took us this long to get there and is the, just the, simply the weight. There was just no way to do it without adding, you know, too much weight to the head frame. And, and it just so happened, you know, I think this was just a circumstance where you have the companies focused on making the rackets and there's a lot to learn there. They put out the profiles, but they're still learning. And meanwhile, I jump in and happen to recognize that carbon fiber is light enough to make a suspension now. I mean, it's sort of, so I, I think it was just a little timing thing where I happen to not be concerned with rackets, you know, and I recognized that the carbon fiber was, gave us a way to, to get into the string bed without uh, um, intolerable weight. And yeah, that's because the key, that's, but it's, yeah. yeah, but it has, it's a concept. It's not a new concept. It's kind of what I'm getting at. I mean, there's a great, but really cool patent that was granted in 1880 something for a suspension on a racket, on a, on a, court tennis racket they were already fiddling with suspension so everyone has known <laughs> anyone who's worked in rackets over the last hundred years has known that if you can get to suspension you have really got something and it changes everything um that is not new we just got here and i happened to get in there when the other guys were still working on the rackets you know, it's just one of those things. And um, uh, so I'm, I am hoping eventually that um, people will understand just what a big step this is and um, how it opens doors for, I have other suspension designs that I've already developed um, because I've realized the racket guys are sleeping and and meanwhile, there's lots of ways to do suspension. In fact, uh, there's a power suspension that I've designed that's actually in the Bolt Racket Lab website. I've actually put the 3D images of those designs on the website. Um, and there's, there's some other things that we get into when we get into suspension. There are new things that you can do to the frame um, that you, couldn't, you can't do when the strings are bearing on the frame. But when you yeah. get them up on suspension, suddenly the frame itself can be messed around with. And yeah, exactly. And you open really up a lot of the possibilities, right? Right. Oh, Jonas, I'm telling you. I'm telling you that it, if once we get to this paradigm of having this extra element, the suspension to, to regulate ball rebound speed and whatnot, once we get to this new paradigm, I'm telling you, if the racket companies could jump into this, it would be a bonanza for everybody because there's all kinds of ways to do suspension, not just the zip strip necessarily. There's other things. It gets really interesting. So it's like we're at a kind of a dead end with conventional rackets. This is my thinking anyway. And to go to the next step and open up a whole new world of possibilities is the new paradigm of suspension. And why why do you think uh, they they got stuck? Like because I mean obviously we, we've seen we had the history of rackets like oh, wooden to aluminium you know and then graphite came and since the graphite era there hasn't been much in terms of change and that's probably why we still have pros playing with like 
25, 30 year old molds. Uh, so the right. rackets still are well, you know, playing the same as they did in the 90s in, in some cases. Uh, so why do you think we would, they've been sleeping or there's not been like a lot of innovation in this last uh, decades? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's a little hard to say, except that, okay, you can understand how through the 90s they're refining the composite uh, materials, um, getting more adept at using carbon fiber and some other materials. So you c it's understandable that there's um, some development time there. And, and then we bumped into polyester not too far after that. And, um, and then I think you do, even Jonas, I think you, you said something um, that's, that's probably um, poignant in terms of the molds. I mean, I think, you know, you get into making molds and having dozens and dozens of molds to ramp up production and then it becomes harder to turn that ship around. And I think, um, you know, I think there's, uh, there may be some reluctance to be recutting molds, um, you know, um, and breaking away from um, what's done typically. And I think you, you have some sense, Jonas, that you know, they, they likely have been able to, to tweak and modify molds over the years so that they, you know, haven't had to get too far from their sort of original um, designs. And that keeps costs down. And, um, and then working, of course, unfortunately, continuing to work within the same paradigm. Um, you know, I think that the class racket is a good example of a sort of that to me kind of epitomizes this, the kind of dead end um, that uh, conventional rackets have reached just in terms of taking that racket and making it so flexible to the point where it doesn't even re resemble carbon fiber anymore. Um, you know, that almost, if you think about that, that's, that's a kind of a, almost like a final solution to conventional racket design with carbon fiber is okay. So, you know, and that likely, if you think about that, that was just done with the layup. So they've, they've managed to produce three, four years of a brand new model without really changing and cutting new molds. So economically, that makes a lot of sense. But of course, for tennis, and you know where I'm coming from. It doesn't help us in tennis. It doesn't. And um, you've taken away all the power from the racket and and it's sort of back to square one. It's almost like wood. Um, so <clears throat> can I ask, do you know how they how they like made that racket? Or or do you mean like it's just a lowered stiffness? Because I mean there's there's one issue with the clash that is pretty famous that it's the trampolining uh, of the frame. Uh, which makes right. them, them quite difficult to control. Um, right. Do you know why that is and, and what can happen there? Sure. I mean, that's where we're into, you know, you're just plain old getting too much flex on the racket. And once the racket is flexing, you know, in the sort of direction of a ball flight, I mean, that racket is, that means it's flexing all over the place. The rim is flexing. The throat is flexing. It's... Um, you know, the deformation is likely not symmetrical. Um, so you're going to get the ball releasing from the racket in all different ways. And that's where I come back to this sort of new paradigm that suspension 
offers, which is to say, we don't have to destabilize the frame and, and, and completely lose control of the ball flight in order to get comfort and dwell time and all of the things that we want to get with the flexible racket. You can get with a bolt zip strip and not have to, to destroy the frame integrity. Um, you know, that in fact is, that's the ceiling right there. The clash represents the ceiling of conventional rackets. Trying to make it super comfortable, but you're throwing away the power and you're throwing away the control. And there's just kind of, there's no compromise that's ever within conventional racket design. It's ever going to get us kind of all the way to super comfortable, powerful, and stable. It just, it can't happen in, in the model. No, I think that's that's right. I think I mean you, there's no perfect racket the way it is because I mean you're you're working with with one different uh, with with one approach to it, and I also think right. like one reason maybe that um, I mean that's just my guess that it's not been that much innovation when it comes to technologies outside just changing a few um, you know structures in the layup and so on is that they're under quite a lot of pressure the techno you know the technicians and the you know people who are actually working on the rackets to to release new models every two years or every three years right. in some cases right. and that becomes like a a huge stress like okay we need a new model because that drives sales and then you right. have seven models playing very similarly instead of like right. putting in five ten years and working on something that's quite different from the other right. ones you know right right yeah, I think, you know, I think you, I think you identified it right there, Jonas, there's a cycle of, you know, there's a marketing cycle there. And, and yet we'd like them to be on a technical development cycle, which like you're, you're suggesting is longer. And it's not the yearly or uh, every other year introduction of new models, it's sort of developing ideas over time. And you, you, that's probably the answer, Jonas, that um, there is, there's that financial pressure that, you know, before, and my understanding is that came along with the Jim Baugh era at Wilson, where they started to introduce the idea of introducing new models every season, you know, started to definitely uh, generate more revenue. And that was appealing and sort of have taken the industry into that, that model. And, but yet, there is, then there's driving economic pressure instead of pressure to develop um, great tech, or at least have the time to. And um, so, so in that, you know, I mean, that maybe is a factor too, the sort of adaptation of a new sort of annual uh, new model introduction is, is sort of changed the economics for the racket companies and, and, um, like you say, ramped up the pressure. That makes more sense, actually. Um, I, th I think it does because it's also uh, a trend in the, in the industry uh, the last few years that it's very much driven by cosmetics. Like so, it's it's just like one new paint job design, whatever you want to call it. That is our limited edition. This, I mean, it goes like, with the trends of of other industries. Obviously, that it's all like if you can get your racket or whatever you're buying to look the way you want it to look. It's, it's very visual. It's not so much function driven. And right. you can actually release like a new line of rackets even faster because you can say there's a limited edition. It's now black instead of gold or instead of red. Uh, so right. I think that is also driving 
less innovation, but then there's like a new update based on looks more than anything else. Right, right. It's clever, you know, right? And it's it's creative and, um, you know, and uh, they move rackets. Um, and I understand that you can't, you, you can't, um, you know, you can't redirect your marketing um, energy to be pursuing, you know, uh, long-term technologies. You can't be doing that all of the time. Um, but, you know, uh, it's tennis and it's rackets and they've always been a sort of um, a center of focus technically. And, um, and in fact, the source of growth um, you know, when those first oversized rackets came out, uh, the first Prince racket, shoot, we did have a major tennis boom. And I don't think that was an accident. Um, it did invigorate people and, um, you know, and hopefully we don't lose sight of the power of that, um, innovating to draw people in, uh, Exactly. And I think that that is a little bit the, the tennis dilemma we have is that, it's such uh you have to really go deep to get into tennis partly it's it's quite a technical game and it's very difficult from the beginning so you have a lot of obstacles in improving and then you have to pay for a coach which costs a lot of money and uh, we don't maybe have a, a great system of uh, a cheap way to get into and learning tennis so you can right. actually have decent rallies and and you mentioned the green ball thing which i think green dot balls which i think is a is a great idea that's one way of making it easier, uh, but that's something that that other sports like pickleball or paddle they really thrive from. That it's just like you you need to play once or twice, and then you can actually play the sport. Tennis is is suffering yeah. from it the long starting strip, <laughs> and it's also partly like a lack of knowledge in in gear because if you give people like um, an oversized, very easy to use racket, at least they will be able to hit better balls than if they get like a tightly strung blade or something, uh, which right. which is the problem in some clubs that they don't understand that, okay, this will make it so much more difficult for the player to hit the decent ball. Right, right. Yeah, Jonas, I can't tell you actually, even coaches, uh, I gotta tell you, it's been disappointing that coaches are not paying a little more attention um, you know, uh, even to the strings, the strings may be even more important these days than the frame itself. Um, just making sure that people get really good, uh, solid information. Um, and I'm finding coaches, uh, some of the coaches I've had around here have, have really, are just not taking the time to get in and understand the strings. Um, when I grew up, we had four or five strings to choose from. That was it. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing really to have to research on the strings. But now, okay, there's some 800,000 types of string. Uh, it does take a little more elbow grease to understand what's happening. But um, it is important. It's critical, like you say. Uh, yeah, and sure I think that right if you start like with a good... Like a good coach, good equipment, as many factors as possible, like maybe, a, a, you know, a good relationship with your hitting partner or your group. I think tennis will become much more fun and engaging. And I think that's where we lose some players early that they 
it's too difficult, it's too complicated, it might be too expensive. And then you you know, we have the equipment questions, which are endless uh, and quite difficult to understand. Uh, right. So I, I and partly the risk of like developing some kind of elbow pain if you play with the wrong equipment uh, after right. maybe a session, a few sessions or a few months. So um, that that's right. a few obstacles there that I think can can be detrimental for sure. Right. I've really enjoyed that you learned how to describe these things to your audience. I mean, you've just you've learned how to describe things in simple ways. And, and that helps a lot. Uh, we need more of those kinds of simple, straightforward conversations um, to help people that are new to the sport uh, to be able to understand really what they need to know, the essentials, to get off to, the, to a good start. And so bravo to you. Thanks. Um, Thanks a lot. <laughs> for doing that. Because no, it, I... it, it is, in fact, it's taken me a number of years to figure out how to talk about bolt and the zip strip because it can get complicated and you lose people fast, you know? <laughs> so, so bravo to you for, right. For, for learning your language, taking time to understand your language and how people are comprehending or not comprehending what you're saying. Uh, I th yeah, so and that's I th a <clears throat> huge skill. Thanks, but I I think the realization is uh, becomes quickly that you know there most people have no idea at all uh, might have little interest, but there are people with interest, but the knowledge overall is is pretty weak, I would say. So there's there's a lot of of information to bridge uh, if you study right. this closely. You realize you can't get into too technical terms because you lose most people and will be boring. Uh, so you need right. to find a way to not dumb it down too much but but at least make it comprehensible and and uh and also somewhat engaging and i think that's pretty important and tennis rackets and and strings and so on can be fun if you're engaged in actually testing them yourself you can say hey you know yeah. this is you actually have a fun it's not like a vacuum cleaner where it's like okay this floor gets a little bit cleaner now or faster <laughs> It's actually something you can go out and you play and you get more power, you get better comfort. You can actually feel the benefit of a better setup for you yourself. Uh, even yep. even very weak players, and I, I usually do this kind of experiments, you know, with high level. Today I play with a guy who used to play pro tour, and uh, you know, some other day I play with some players that are, you know, played for one two years, and you can hand mm -hmm. them different rackets and see what the reaction is. Yep. And you get very different reactions from a person. Doesn't matter the level, really. Like a pro can be completely non-understanding of what goes into a racket, and he just knows what he likes, but he doesn't know why he likes it. Right. And then you, but you can have a beginner who you think know nothing, but they can actually feel straight away. Oh, I like this because it feels like it flexes more. It feels like it gives me more power, and, and right. Uh, it's very personal. Right. You know that whole thing. Right. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. I've run into that too, uh, which I think I've almost learned more from some of the uh, more beginning players um, because like you were saying, it's there's a pure reaction there. Yeah, and they have a fresh uh, uh, perspective. So they come at it like kind of like a kid, you know, they go and say, hey, you know, this is just by instinct how I felt about this while they, they're not like overanalyzing or... Or, or putting a lot of, you know, emotion or experience into it. They just go straight from the gut, which I think is, is always, right. you get an easier 
uh, or a more digestible response. Uh, so, for, right. so for Bolt, like, I mean, when I try new products, I'm always like skeptical. Well, is this going to be a gimmick? Uh, yep. Is this going to be like Alibaba rackets, which, which happened? Like they would, you know, someone find an old mold and they buy them cheap and they, they play so, uh, so, and so, or they play decent, yep. but it's not going to, you know, rock any tennis world. And I, I, right. I was a little bit worried about the, the Bolt rackets. Uh, yep. but as soon as I started playing with them, I was like, wow, this actually has a different feel that is, is good. You know, it's not something that's just different. It actually, yeah. they feel nice and you can generate good power. Uh, I was worried about string life, but that seemed quite right. okay as well. Uh, actually. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think there's actually a little stress taken off the strings just by the fact that they, you know, the strips do give a little bit. So. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, like because I really like the response. Uh, I mean, because I'm I'm an old school guy. I like, I mean, I like modern rackets as well. It's fun to get power and spin, but it's not so much fun when you feel sore. You know, afterwards, you, you right. play two hours, you feel sore. Uh, you you know, next day you're you're you know not gonna be able to play the same way, perhaps. And with right. these frames, uh, I didn't feel sore. You know, can actually play full on. Almost like I, I was playing with like a multi racket, uh, mm-hmm. a racket with a multi filament. So I, I definitely kudos on that. I was I was very impressed by, by how well they performed. Uh, I also play with my my father who's a lower level. I mean he replaced both his knees and but he can still hit a decent ball, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah he really liked them too. So he has, actually holds on to <laughs> the the hundred. Oh great! So hey, okay, we love that. Uh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. Yeah, it's good. No, it's yeah, very good. And I, I think, um, like, I, I always come from, like, an honest approach because I don't do, I mean, I don't do tennis nerd for, for money. It, it's not a money thing. I worked in, in money industries before. It's not not the whole purpose of this. Uh, so I, I really think it's always good to come in with an honest approach, open mind, and then you give it a go. And if you like something, you know, be, be you know, open about that. But yeah, so I, I really think there's something here and something to be investigated further, hopefully. Yeah, uh, but Thank it's you. obviously I the question like that. how do you convince a market that something is 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 worth trying? That it's that's obviously on your challenge uh, gonna right. be right. Yeah, that's a huge challenge, obviously. Um no doubt uh tennis demographic, tennis players are um yeah, they tend to have uh deep loyalties and uh we understand that. I was a kid and playing with my Wilson rackets and swore that I'd never use anything different. And, and, uh, my favorite player used one. And so we know those, those threads run deep. You, so, you played, uh, competitions as a younger guy or. Yeah, I did. I, I played pretty serious junior tennis. Um, but, uh, I've, I was, even as a kid, I was really into architecture and, and drawing I was drawing buildings from way back and that's cool when it came time to decide I decided on architecture school and uh so I played tennis in architecture school but architecture was the focus and um it's a bit uh, easier to make money in architecture I mean I I meet pros here in Spain uh, where I am like every week and it's uh it's not I mean unless you're top 50 it's not the easiest life to be a tennis pro I mean you usually end up like a coach or something it becomes a bit right right yeah I didn't think my odds were too good so <laughs> so I went with the architecture 
but yeah, I think, um, you know, uh, for Bolt, we've been growing steadily and the conversations have gotten better and better. You know, I do believe often, um, unfortunately, there's some time involved, um, even with tennis players, just seeing us around enough, even just to allow us to be a possibility. Um, and so we, we benefited from some time just being here for a little while. And I can feel that, you know, those conversations really ramping up. Um, I've had conversations with coaches recently that wouldn't really talk to me a year ago. Um, so I can feel some of the barriers starting to knock down when we actually get in with someone and get someone to take some time to get to know the rackets. We win most of those conversations, hands down. Um, it's just the initial bump that we need to get people through. To, yeah, that's, the, that's the barrier always, right? To get people to actually yep. try the product with an open mind. Right, right. Is there, there's reluctance, just like you expressed. And there's a natural reluctance. Um, things can sound gimmicky. Uh, we've been trying to find different language. I even wrote about that a little bit, trying to find different language to describe the rackets. You know, the moment you say, more power, more control, da-da-da, more comfortable, people roll their eyes a little bit. But um, we're getting through that. And honestly... You know the business. I mean, at some point we're gonna have to we're gonna have to find someone out on the tour, challenger circuit, um, someone to to start using the rackets. Um, you know, I've kind of had my eye out. We've talked to a few of the players that have had some serious injuries. Team, for example, to me, would be a great candidate for a bolt um, if he's still having wrist issues. Um, yeah, I I mean like what a that would be an interesting get. I mean it's it's a, such a big profile, nice guy, loved by everyone. Yeah, um, classic yeah. Uh, injury problems. Yep. You know, to me, we're gonna have to have some breakthrough like that. We're gonna have to have someone uh, jump into the fold with Bolt, and I know that's a huge challenge. But um, so I've been trying to have some conversations. Uh, in regards to that with some coaches that have been on the tour and still have some connections. So I'm hoping uh, some of those conversations can turn into, to materialize into some player. Um, you know, yeah. It's like hard to find any shortcuts through the, the tennis buying demographic. I mean, but there is an interest, I think beyond the standard brands these days, it's something I've noticed I mean, branding is so powerful that people think that it because it's Nike or something famous, it's it's better quality, which is rarely yep. the case. Uh, yep. That that it, you know, branding is is something you you build over time, but you also be something you pay for in marketing, and that doesn't really have any you know reality backing it. So, right. um, it that's something that people are maybe seeing through a bit more in these days. So with all the yep. content coming up and, and now you can't really lie yourself through stuff anymore. Someone will sniff it out online. Right. So right. I think there is a, an interest now also that frames are so expensive. If you look at the, the mainstream brands, there's like a $280 right. for a racket these days. And right. I, I think it makes sense then to kind of look at options and say, hey, you know, and people also want to be unique. I see that mm -hmm. when I arrive with some frames that 
that you know maybe might be blacked out, might be from some brand they've never heard of. There, right. there's an interest, you know. There's something there that people would be like, "Oh, what's this? You know, what's going on here?" You know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just just okay. lugging them around makes some kind of impact in a way. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you say that, Jonas. I've I've felt that a little bit myself, but I'm 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 pleased to hear you confirm that. Um, I've sensed a little bit more open mindedness in some of the the younger players, of course, younger generations. Yeah, I think it's it's you know people realize okay, big brands, big business, you know they try to find way to cut corners. It's not always like I mean you usually get better stuff with boutique style businesses. Like you you get you might have to pay equal amount or in some cases more. It depends, but like if you think of boutique hotels or you know smaller businesses, you kind of think more old school, handmade. Um, you're more led by the actual founders of a business mm-hmm. than just this big conglomerate, which is not so mm-hmm. sexy anymore. Uh, might have right. been in the 80s, but now it's like big businesses is not like looking so great in many cases. Yeah. So maybe yeah. there's, a, there's a, a bit of a shift there and that might continue. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's just, right. a, just a feeling like it, because it, now you can actually challenge a bit more, you know, marketing doesn't have to be that expensive. You can have Google ads, you can have, um, get some influencers or, you know, there's ways to break through that wasn't available before. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that, I think that probably is, is, uh, there are more possibilities, uh, for sure. And even it's consistent with the idea of the sort of, uh, you know, the millennials appreciating, they don't want you to sell them a product, but they want to hear the stories, right? Yeah. They want to hear the stories of the people using the product, maybe the story of the founder of the company, people working at the company. That to me opens it up to more of that, like just like you're saying, a little bit more um, exposure potential for the smaller brands. I think so, you want like a connection to what you wear and what you... I mean, people want something they can stand behind or that they kind of feel good using, I think. That that requirement is a bit stronger these days. Uh, mm-hmm. You just don't buy whatever. You you want like a connection to your choice. Since there's so much um, choice, I think you, you want to feel like I made this, this was my choice because of this and this and this. You want to have a reason and to have a strong personal connection to to not all products, but some of them that you use and, and like a sport like tennis, for example, that you love a sport, then you want to put some extra attention to your racket you use, you know? Right. Right. Well, we could, we could do better than better on that. Jonas. actually, I, we could do better on that. Um, in that regard, just making, um, people feel connected to the company. I've had a little, I'll let you in on one of my little secrets, just that I've, I've kind of wanted to, I, didn't, I haven't wanted people to know that uh, we have a very small team here. You know, I've wanted people to think that we're a little bigger than we are, <laughs> but maybe that's changing. Maybe I should reverse the emphasis. Yeah, uh, I think I think I it's it, it's like some transparency is not always a bad thing. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I think people know these days that, you know, you can be a one man band and it's fine. And I, I, you know, I know what you mean. Like when I grew up, it was always... And that's the way I was perceiving things for a long time, that you you have to pretend to be a big dog. You know, it's like that. that's yep. the way yep. forward. You have to pretend until you, you yep. get there. Uh, while yeah, right. now, I, 
I think transparency is pretty cool. Like you can actually say, yeah, yeah, we're a small brand. Like it's founded by this guy who's super passionate about tennis, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, I, I don't see right. any problems in that. And you always have your, I mean, what, when you, my philosophy is, is basic and, and dumb in a way, but it's like, I mean, if I, if you always tell the truth, you have nothing to hide. So it's pretty, right. pretty easy way to right. live life. Right. 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 Yep. Yep. I, yep. I'm, I follow along that myself. I like to keep things simple. Yeah, and, I think uh, so. I mean, the stress of, of making things complicated or, or trying to, you know, weave a tale or a story that is not actually 100% true, it's, it's just going to backfire. I mean, that's the feeling I right. always have. It's always backfires anyway. Right. Yeah, trying to be something you're not, it's never a good idea. Um, but yes, maybe I may, I may have to rethink that. Actually, a few people have said that to me recently. Uh, that maybe even I should be even more forthright with my own story and actually how I got this out here. I've yeah, been I reluctant think that's very to actually tell I, that I think, tale. Uh, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think that was right. that would be interesting because um, a personal story, like also someone coming from it from another angle, like you said, you mean you're an architect, you've done that for for your whole life pretty much. So it's like you see there's some technical knowledge, interest in how things are constructed it creates a storyline, you know, and it creates like mm -hmm. a connection to the sport. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty cool. And there's something to be gained from that. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, I mean, mm -hmm. the least sexy stuff is when someone tries to just copy an idea and try to cut some costs and do some marketing uh, trick uh, <laughs> to get cheap marketing. I mean, it's, that is the, the least sexy to me when, and you see that a lot, like people, <laughs> People just copy like, okay, this was a, seemed like a good idea. I'm, I'm just going to make my own version of that. And then I'm going to do better marketing. And that's right. That's how most right. things are sold today, I think. But it's not the best, I think. Yeah, doesn't. And then we're back into the tennis. It doesn't move the tennis ball forward. No, exactly. And I think that always has to be, be moved forward. I think that's important. By the way, one question right. I wanted to ask pretty practically. Like, I mean, let's say people listen to this or they watch my review, which I'm going to publish. Um, I wanted to do it after we had the chat, actually. So it's going to be in the this week, probably, or early next. Um, they can get a demo from you, at least, in the States, right? Yep, absolutely. Yep. We ship demos. Yep. And in fact, we're all set up. It's really easy to order online. They can go right in there and select a demo. Um, and of course, new rackets as well. But um, yeah, yeah it's good because I, I think that's, it's always a problem. I, I get like a lot of messages every day from everywhere in the world. But the biggest problem for people is with that when they're in a market where they can demo, like they don't have tennis warehouse, they don't have anything similar to tennis warehouse. And they might hmm. not have a local club where they, can just have a sh shop and go and get a demo or try a racket. And it's mm -hmm. becomes a huge issue for them then because they have to order something unseen or untested. Uh, and right. then it's very right. difficult also for me to recommend a racket because I, I tell everyone, like I can say, you know, based on X, Y, Z, I think these three, four rackets work for you. But the only way you can really know is to test them because that's we're all right. so personal. We have a connection to some product for some reason, and and it's not easy to like scientifically break that down. It's just like happening. Right, right. The demo is obviously for us an integral part of the operation. Um, 
you know, we're really relying on that as our means of getting this rackets out there. We give t-shirts out with all the demos. So even if someone doesn't buy, they still have a t-shirt out there floating around. That's cool. So we've yeah. tried to, we've tried to make it a marketing thing too. And, um, but yeah, we're happy to, and people can get multiple demos at a time if they want to compare models. So that's um, great. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think people now love the testing stuff. I mean, I I see my audience being, I mean, I always enjoyed it, but I I thought I was pretty much a, a nutter who was very alone in my, in my interest <laughs> around testing rackets and strings. But it seems like there's uh, quite a few like me out there. So which is always yeah, yeah. always odd when you notice that. Uh, so right. I think people people, <laughs> people like to test <laughs> test new gear. Uh, that that's that's how it is. I I I don't think it goes in pretty much any sport where you can like affect right. your performance with the equipment because then we have something to blame as well. <laughs> so it's always good. <laughs> right. Right. It's, uh, it's it's hard to blame your, your shoes if you play soccer or whatever, but I mean, for tennis golf, <laughs> you have an equipment uh, that is such a important part. I mean, it's the connection to your arm, you know? So yeah. that's, that's always yeah. the thing. Do you yeah. have any plans to make uh, pickleball rackets with a suspension? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. no, absolutely not. <laughs> That's no. good. Uh, you know, no, I we I I'm still a hardcore tennis, and in fact, I am so excited actually to get to kind of the future of rackets and get further into this um, this new paradigm. There's such exciting things. So I'm ramped up. Actually, we have a really cool. I have a. Uh, a concept of design it's actually ready to go with, with for kids actually that does something very special stay tuned extremely special actually for kids Ooh. that in fact the big guys should have done this a long time ago too it's so simple but so we have lots of new tennis products i'm trying to get to so great uh we're staying staying away from pickleball for at least a little while yeah, so yeah i, I have, you have, you have enough. me right right and, and one thing I think with. that is, that is, I mean, it's not trendy, but it's like the, the important problem to solve, which I, which I understand is the idea, of course. And the one thing that impressed me, especially is that people, I mean, I get hundreds of messages every year about injuries, tennis elbow, especially, and it's not getting, I'm not getting fewer messages. I'm getting more and more and more. And the issue right. is, uh, is quite rampant as we talked about. And this one actually takes that problem out of the equation in many ways and you can still mm -hmm. actually get like a a crisp kind of powerful feel uh, so i think yep. that's that's very easy sell in terms of uh, the problem it solves like so that's where you can have some some impact that's really the messaging more i would say than power is the the comfort i mean you you can right. you can actually get some power without the comfort being a problem where where, where right. it's like everywhere and i think that is the biggest that's where you find the most players. It's it's not looking for these advanced players who can play with a blade or whatever. It's it's looking for the the big demographic that are actually suffering out there. Right, right. And think of how many think of how many extra hours of playtime uh, clubs would be getting more bookings. Players wouldn't have to take a day off. Maybe not have to take Advil. I mean, how many players do we know take two Advil or two ibuprofen before they go play tennis? It's horrible. Yeah, you know, we should definitely have a better solution. 
Yeah, um, even pros actually. Yeah. I, I I've talked to a few pros that that uh, have to take painkillers before their matches. So and really? high ranking pros, top fifty guys. So really, yeah. Well, I mean, I've it's it's, noticed, it's pretty common I mean, actually from what I've heard. Really. Yeah. Well, so this is like, so it's a central issue. The zip strip takes care of it. And we haven't, you know, we haven't destroyed the frame. We haven't made it some crazy different animal that, you know, no one can relate to at all. Um, you know, there's something to get used to there, but um, it does seem to me that there are lots of players out there that, and the whole industry would benefit for having, players being in less pain um you know one of the most disappointing things experiences i've had so far in circulating racks and you know Jonas, you talk to pros and you'll have some sense of this and maybe you'll be talking to them about this but you know i often send pros into a coach it's often a director and the director will get the rackets and hit with them and call me back and say well they're not really for me you know da, da, da. and i say coach they're not really for you come on like how did your play what did your players think about them and i can't tell you Jonas, how often i get that response and it's so disappointing that the coaches often are not thinking past themselves and i just i'm dumbfounded by that you know if you're coaching you know isn't your focus your students your clinics they're filled with Many players who just want something comfortable, like you and I just discussed, and and yet that's falls on kind of dead ears with the coach. The coach, I'll get the rackets back saying, you know, I thought they were pretty good, but not for me. Well, <laughs> no, it's not. It's yeah, not yeah, necessarily no, you for there. you, coach. You know. Yeah, I think I think one problem in in tennis, or maybe it's in all individual sports. Is that I mean I thought you know you meet players it's it's very ego driven as a sport so players and especially strong players they have a hard time looking past themselves I think it's like because ever since they were a kid if they were competing the whole um, the whole family everyone rallies around them like it's all about their performance and then they can get stuck in that in their whole life and I think you see that sometimes with certain coaches ex competitive players they they are a bit stuck in their in their ways because this is how they were raised or how they grew up with everyone looking yeah, at them for a, their performance and they're the star and, and yeah it's it's a interesting yeah. uh, psychological trait. Really good, I, i've seen it a few times it's a really good point you make um that is that's likely where that comes from um and that that is that's frustrating sometimes but um but that's part of the part of the fabric anyway yeah no but um, i i you know i see <clears throat> when i i play with hit with a lot of ex, ex pros like who didn't quite make it and um you know i i see those traits in in many of them that it's like they have a hard time not being the guy in the spotlight to you know we're supposed to be a pro tennis player i, I it's, it's kind of a hard calm down because you have to invest so many hours of time into the sport and then yeah, like the the feeling of failure when you don't quite make it, and the feeling right. of emptiness maybe of what is my new career? Am I gonna coach? Right. Not right. nothing wrong with being a coach, but it might feel right. like it's obviously not what they you wanted with when you set out on the journey to be a professional player. 
So right. I think that right. it sometimes can create like a, you know, wreck some havoc with your confidence or with your feeling of, of self and so on. So um, yeah. I, I've noticed yeah. that to be an issue. Uh, probably is yeah, similar in other sports as well, but, but it seems to be in tennis yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's very well put. I think you're. I think you're probably right on there. Um, you know, maybe, and we may even experience it more in tennis, just because tennis is so interactive. Fans play. Fans need to learn. So we have the coaches in there, the coaching interface, and and um, and that does it becomes a little part of the conversation. So it makes sense. Hopefully, we can break through that here and there. Yeah, now I'd hope you, I hope so. I mean, I I wish you the best, of course, and uh, and I will be keenly following your your journey. I always like play people who are passionate about the the industry and the sport, and who want to do something a bit outside the norm. I think we need driven innovation in any aspect of life, really. But tennis sometimes feel like it's a bit slow moving. But uh, yeah, yep. and it, it's a it's an old sport. Uh, where the wheels are and slow in motion, and sometimes that's a good thing. Right, right. Yep, yep, for sure. We like but, the history, but, but right? sometimes it, it needs. We need to push the boulder down the the hill as well. So it's a little bit <laughs> of both. <laughs> yeah, this this is true. Yeah, this is well. In fact, and this is why we need um, people like you, actually with your passion and wanting to communicate clearly with people. Um, we need more of this as well. Yeah. I think it, it's just good to have a conversation and, and see it as kind of a community. I think sometimes tennis, we, we have a community, but we don't really use it as much as we should. So I, I maybe mm -hmm. that's more can be done now in the digital era uh, with this stuff. Right. But, uh, yeah. It can be a pretty solitary space uh, i think right. for for to be a tennis player hard to find hitting right. partners hard to find like a good club community uh, and i think that's mm -hmm. what other sports have maybe done a bit better now uh, being they right. have to come from scratch sometimes it's it's di more difficult having a lot of heritage than than coming from scratch because you can just right you have nothing to protect you can just go all in and do whatever you know and tennis they have so much right. we have so much history we have so many traditions and and that's not always easy to deal with Right, right. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah, you're. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, we'll continue to stay with it, right? And yeah, of course. It's a great, great, great game, and I'm I'm hoping we can even do more here in the United States. Of you know, the golf, uh, the United States Golfing Association, they were really good to jump on this sort of. They they started the first T program which was the emphasis was more on character building and value building and, you know, not so much playing, but using golf as a vehicle to, you know, teach leadership and teach sportsmanship and all of those things. And we do that in tennis to a degree, but I think we could do better. And, and tennis does offer all those teaching moments, all those possibilities for kids to learn to get along with, others people from different places different countries um, learning to follow rules and work hard and and all those great qualities uh, i hope we can we can continue to do better in that way because i think tennis that to me is a really great foundation for us to deliver tennis to the globe 
um, learning experience for children. Um, you know, you can't get better teaching moments uh, uh, often than on a tennis court. No, I agree. Um, and I, I, it's, 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 a, it's a, it's a great thing. And I think that's why it's so easy to be passionate about, but what we need the passionate people to, to stay in it and, and keep pushing and hopefully right. ha have a decently loud voice with some good messaging behind it. I think that would be, be good, but it's a, you know, I'm always right. tr trying to be an optimist and everything. So I, I hope we, we're going to be in I a like good it. space. I like it. Me too. We kind of have to do that. Don't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in the nature of, of the of humanity. I think to have, you have to be an optimist. Otherwise you're just going to fall over and die. I think it's not, not an option. So <laughs> it's just better to be optimistic and keep, keep going. You know, you, what, what, what right. else can you do? Yeah. There's no other option. Right. Really. right. It's a good attitude. Jonas. It's um, the only way I, I have to let you go now, Brett. I really enjoyed yep. um, talking to you. Jonas. I think it, uh, was uh, was a great talk and uh, I, I really want to uh, wish you all the best with, with Bolt. Thank you, Jonas. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking with you and uh, I hope we can keep up the conversation. I've learned a few things that which I really appreciate. And Yeah, um, same, same. Always up to I'll, talk tennis rackets and technology and, and developing the sport. It's my, my passion and interest, so it makes a lot of sense. It's great. We'll keep up the great work you're doing. And thanks for including us. And um, I do. I've, I hope we can stay in touch and, and keep talking. Yeah, we will for sure. Thank you, Brett. Okay, Jonas. You bet. You have a nice have day. Have a now. great day. Talk Thank to you, you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. Ciao, ciao.